My name is Kyle. If you're visiting with us today, I want to say welcome to you. I'm glad that you're here. I echo the sentiments of both my wife and Jasper uh, in welcoming you today. I hope that you enjoy your time worshiping Christ with us. If you have your Bible, you can turn to um, Isaiah chapter 9. Book of Isaiah chapter 9. It's uh, real close to the very middle of your Bible. All right, so Isaiah chapter 9 is where we'll be today. We are, as you're, going, as you're going there, I'll just kind of set up what we're doing. We are in the third week now of our Advent series. And so uh, there will be uh, a message on Friday night at the EV service um, just about, about the birth of Christ, looking forward to the birth of Christ and about whom He came to save. And so I really encourage you to come back Friday night to hear that. I think you'll find it encouraging, but you'll find the whole night a real treat uh, for you and your family during this time of year. It's a blast. Uh, and then Sunday on Christmas morning, uh, I'm excited to worship with you all on Christmas morning. I hope, I uh, just want to encourage you uh, to make plans to be here. I know that you're like, man, it's Christmas morning. And I'm like, man, it's the Lord's Day, <laughs> right? And, and we are people who say all the time that, I assume you are, that Jesus is the reason for the season, right? Uh, so let's not say that and then say, except if the season falls on, you know, a Sunday, uh, then I won't be there. So let's make plans to attend on Sunday as much as we're able. Uh, you may have travel plans. You may uh, already be gone out of town. But if you're here, uh, come worship with us. It'll be a good time in the house of the Lord exalting Christ again, looking, we'll look specifically at the birth of Christ, uh, the peace that comes with him and with his birth, uh, and we'll glory in the Lord together, and then we'll go home and uh, enjoy the rest of the festivities. So in our home, we're already making plans for that morning, what's it going to look like before church and after church, and so men, I encourage you to sit down with your family this week, make plans for that, you know, plan it out, look at Look ahead and say, hey, we're going to be there, but here's what we're going to have to do to make that work, okay? You can do it. Uh, I'm in your corner. If you have questions, let me know, uh, but let's come and worship together on Sunday morning. Uh, again, Isaiah 9, so we're in the middle of Advent. Advent explores the first coming of Christ, and as we're looking at the first coming of Christ, it's in anticipation of the second coming of Christ, and so uh, there's going to be some of that theme weaved throughout. Uh, but what we're saying is, is that there was real darkness, <laughs> there is real darkness on the earth still, but there was real darkness on the earth uh, back then as well. And so these promises from Genesis 3.15 all the way through uh, finally the birth of Christ, the arrival of the Messiah, uh, were moments of light in the middle of darkness. And so we've looked at the promise in Genesis 3.15 where God just right out of the gate is letting Adam and Eve both, and all of humanity for that matter, know that this will not end this way. Christ will come. He will punish the serpent. Uh, death will be dealt a death blow. Christ will be bruised in the process, uh, but he will reign victorious. And so it's the announcement of the gospel. And then we looked at Abraham uh, last week, and we just talked about sojourning and how you are sojourners. You are men and women, boys and girls who love the Lord. And, and so as such, you're on your way to a heavenly homeland. Amen? There are things about this world that feel like home, and then there's a lot of things about this world that are nothing like home. But the very best of this world, the very best of this world will still need to be redeemed in the new heaven and new earth. Amen? And so the best of this world is just a foreshadowing of what awaits us uh, in the new heaven and new earth. And so we look forward to that. That's our homeland, and we are going there by the grace of Christ. And so today, I want to talk to you about a prophecy. And so in Isaiah 9, uh, we see uh, in the Scriptures, we have major prophets, and we have five books of major prophets, and we have 12 books of minor prophets. Uh, and through all of these, God is making pronouncements either of judgment or of salvation to come. And he's using this as a way to turn the hearts of his people back to himself. And, and so Isaiah is a book that is full of both. <laughs> it's full of coming judgment, judgment doom that's coming upon you, Israel, uh, Judah, doom that's coming to you. But it's also full of pronouncements of a coming Savior, and so we're going to look at 
uh, Isaiah 9 today uh, to see this. But these are men who God called to announce to his people who were dwelling in the darkness of sin uh, that to, to announce uh, either judgment or blessing which was to come. In the Old Testament, there are 300 plus prophecies about the coming Messiah. 300 plus prophecies. It's really incredible considering the last book of the New Testament, Malachi, which also prophesies about the coming Christ, was written 400 years before Christ arrived on the earth. And so it's really incredible what God is doing in the Old Testament to show us that Christ is coming. And so Isaiah is a prophet to Judah. Now, Judah is the southern kingdom. There was a split uh, under the reign of Solomon, David's son. There was a split in the kingdom of Israel, uh, and Judah uh, is part of this. It's part of the southern kingdom. And so this is around 930 B.C. Isaiah continues, uh, sorry, Isaiah contains prophecies about multiple aspects of the coming Christ. He prophesies about the last days, uh, things in which you'll see in Isaiah 25 about how we'll dwell on the mountain with the Lord, we'll eat of choice meats and drink of choice wine, and we will fellowship with Christ in heaven and with His people. Amen? I'm excited about it. <laughs> he prophesies about Emmanuel. In Isaiah 7, verse 14, it says that uh, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. We see that he prophesies about the branch and the root of Jesse. We see that he prophesies about the Savior waited for. That's what our passage today is going to contain. We see that he prophesies about the cornerstone or the foundation stone uh, specifically of the church. Who is it that unites all of God's people? It's Christ. We see that he prophesies about the way of the Lord being prepared, which was a prophecy about John the Baptist, largely. We see that he prophesies about the man of sorrows in Isaiah 53, the one who would be acquainted with grief, stricken uh, to the point of death, so that, again, God's people might go free and enjoy the spoils of such. Uh, he prophesies about the Redeemer to come. He prophesies just explicitly about the Messiah. Isaiah's book is large, and it contains a whole lot of encouragement and a whole lot of discouraging things as well. Uh, but in the middle of darkness, there is light, and that's what we see uh, in our passage today. So I'm going to ask that you stand to your feet. We're going to read uh, the Word of God today. When I'm finished reading, I'll say, this is the Word of the Lord, and I'll ask that you respond, thanks be to God. All right, Isaiah 9, verse 1 through 7. Let's read. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let me pray for you before you're seated. Heavenly Father, we praise you for today. We thank you for your word. We ask that you be with us now. Would you open our hearts and minds uh, to have comprehension of the things that we read today, to understand your word. Lord, open our hearts and minds to believe it and to trust, Lord, that you are who you say you are. Lord, would you help us to see the light of Christ today, for it is the only thing 
uh, powerful enough to save souls, powerful enough to uh, sanctify our hearts and minds, to help us be more like Christ. It is transformative light, and we are in need of it. And so, Lord, we are helpless today to see it on our own. We're helpless today to know Christ on our own. We must have the Spirit's help. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would illuminate God's Word today. Help us to see it and to believe it, to trust it, to live it out. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, the the theme of what I want to put before you today is this. Uh, it's very simple, but uh, life-changing nonetheless. God fulfills His promise to destroy darkness through the birth of His Son. And so I'm going to talk to you about the themes of light and darkness again today, uh, but from Isaiah here. Uh, in Isaiah verse 22, eight, sorry, chapter 8, verse 22, so just a verse before where we started, um, this is what we read. It says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. And so this is the people for whom light has come, or light is coming. These people are dwelling in darkness. They're separated from God. They're in captivity, and, and there's anguish. They're beginning to get bitter and angry with God over their separation. In Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, what we have here happening is that in the midst of darkness, God sends Isaiah to proclaim the birth of the coming Messiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And so God is fulfilling His promise to destroy darkness through the birth of His own Son. Amen? In verse 1, God speaks through, I'm just going to walk kind of verse by verse through this today. I'll make a few applications along the way, uh, but then I'll wrap it up and uh, we'll be on our way. In verse 1, God again, He's speaking through Isaiah and He announces an end to the gloom. There's going to be an end to the darkness. You dwell in great darkness, but thick darkness it says. How many of you have ever sat in thick darkness. If you've ever gone hunting, maybe you sit in the thick of the dark of night waiting on the sun to, to come up. You know, maybe you used a light to get to your stand, but once you're in the stand, right, all lights go out, preparation has begun. It's time to wait. And so as, as the day dawns, there's thick darkness as you wait on that, right? There's a thickness to that, or maybe it was some of these, cloud, uh, these foggy nights we had recently, right? It just felt like darkness upon darkness, right? It was already getting dark early, but now the darkness felt thick. There was a, maybe it's just the humidity, but there was a thickness to the darkness, right? And so this is what's being described of the people of God here in, in Judah. There's a thick darkness that they're dwelling in. And at one time, God dealt with His people's rebellion and wrath. This is why there's a separation of the kingdom. God had separated His people. His people were now in captivity, and, and their destruction. Uh, this happened through the destruction of the promised land. Everything that they had gained by their faithfulness, they lost by their unfaithfulness. They broke their covenant with God, and God punished them. And so there are moments in a believer's life where God will seek, try, attempt to gain your attention through punishment. Well, he'll bring about some sort of captivity, you might say. He'll bring about some sort of um, discipline in your life. And if you hear the discipline, you see the discipline, you repent and you turn to the Lord, well, it's removed from you. But if you do not, the discipline may become stricter, may become increasingly larger. And this is what has happened to uh, God's people. They didn't listen. They continued to rebel against the Lord, and now they sit in great darkness. But a time is coming. And this is what's being announced for them. There's a time coming where God is going to rescue His people by His own grace, right? For to us, it's for them, a son is given, right? But whose son? God's son. 
And so by grace, He's going to rescue them from darkness. It will come through Galilee, right? And it's going to affect the nations. That's what we're reading about in verse 1. In other words, it's going to affect the Gentiles. It's not just going to be uh, these, these Jews anymore. It's, it's not going to be just the nation of Israel, but it's going to extend to the nations. It's going to affect the Gentiles. And so here we see right out of the gate a call to unbelievers, even today. We might read it as such. Anyone who sits in their sins, anyone who sits yet unrepentant of their sins, anyone who is without faith in Christ for their salvation, they sit in grave darkness, thick darkness. Their soul is in danger. But when the gospel comes... And when it comes to anyone who will receive it by repentance of sins and faith in Christ, then a great light has shone upon that person. And when they see the great light, they must welcome that light. Let it grow in them. And it shines brighter with each new day. You become more and more like Christ. This is what we read about a few weeks ago as we looked at 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, um, where it talks about there uh, how there was a veil that's been removed and the same God who, um, who spoke light into being is now shown into the hearts of His people through the light of Christ, that is the gospel, and now they can see the Lord. And he says there that it's by seeing Christ, by beholding Christ, the light of Christ, looking to the light of Christ, that you are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And, and so this happens for... Um, this happens for unbelievers. They see the light of Christ. Christ makes Himself known to them, regenerates a heart. There's faith now in the Lord, and by their faith in Christ, by their following Him, they are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And so they must welcome the light. Let it grow, shine in them each day. And it's that shining through the regenerate person that becomes evidence of a transformed life. Right? Where once you have someone whose uh, heart was far from the Lord and it was evident by their actions that they didn't care um, at all about Christ and His commands, about Christ and His call to repentance. Now there's fruit. There's fruit. Uh, I like the way the, uh, John the Baptist says to the Pharisees, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You know, so his, his baptism was a baptism of repentance. It wasn't yet uh, the baptism that we see where we're baptized into Christ, into His death, raised to new life. It wasn't that yet. So he tells the Pharisees, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't just say, I repent. Don't just say, forgive me, Lord, but bear fruit in that, right? And that's the same thing that you see with a genuine believer. There's going to be a transformed life, and from that transformed life, there's going to be evidence of such. You, you don't talk the same way. You don't walk the same way. You don't live the same way, right? You are transformed. And so that person's been removed from darkness. They've been brought into the marvelous light of Christ Jesus, as 1 Peter uh, 2 calls it. And that light is a sweet light. Right? It's a transforming light. It's one that carries with it the brightness of eternal life. And so it draws us in and it transforms. Well, there's also a word of encouragement. So that's a call to unbelievers to repent. Don't stay in your thick darkness. Come to the light of Christ. But there's a call here, or a word of encouragement at least, for saints as well. For those of you in here who love the Lord, who have submitted to Him, there's a word of encouragement here. In the worst of times, in the worst of times, God's people have a, a nevertheless. Now, my translation says but, but I didn't want to say that, right? I don't want to say God's people have a but, um, right, children? Um, God's people have a nevertheless. And that's what's taking place in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her. Or nevertheless, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. You, you have a nevertheless, you have a, a but, so to say, to comfort yourself with. It's a, it's a balm for you in your distressed and troubled heart. It's a help for you. And, and what you're reading here in Isaiah 9 is that though you may be persecuted, you're never forsaken. Though you may experience persecution for your faith, the Lord never leaves you. He hears your cries. 
Though you may be filled with sorrow, yet you may always be rejoicing. You don't have to be overwhelmed by sorrow. Sorrow does not defeat you. Though you feel it, you can be uh, always rejoicing, which is what 2 Corinthians 6 tells us. And so this text is a comfort to us. When, When there are times of darkness, we need to remember that He who forms the light and creates the darkness has appointed to both their boundaries, right? Darkness can only be so dark for the people of God because Christ reigns, amen? And we are holding on to Christ. And so darkness will not overcome the people of God. The people of God have the promise of the light of Christ to wield against darkness, amen? That that God is not going to leave you in the darkness. And He alone is able to shine great light upon His people. So let that be an encouragement to your heart today. That though you may be experiencing dark times, you may be having a really difficult year, months, weeks, days, maybe it's an hour, right? Like just on the way here, it just didn't go like you hoped it would. And so you come in today, and I want you to hear today that darkness does not reign over the people of God. Cannot, will not, ever. Amen? I'm not saying you won't experience darkness. I'm not saying you won't walk through it. But you have a bright light in the middle of great darkness. That is the Word of God that you can stand on. It's the light of Christ. And then in verses 2 through 3, the tone begins to change. I'll read it to you again. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And so in verses 2 through 3, the tone begins to change. Isaiah, do you notice what he's doing? He's speaking in past tense. On them light has shone. They have seen a great light. Uh, Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. Well, let me tell you, when they're hearing this, it hasn't happened yet. But the tone is changing. Because when God announces something, when God says that something is coming, guess what? It's as good as if it has already happened. Amen? You can trust it as though you're looking in your rearview mirror at it even though you might be looking forward with expectation of that day. A great light has shone on those who are in deep darkness. John chapter 1, as Alan read it earlier, right? That the light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. That's speaking of the light of Christ, which is what I'm trying to point you to today. It's It's what Isaiah was pointing the people of Judah to in this time. And so the nation has been multiplied. Not only has Judah seen the light, not only is is Israel going to see the light, that remnant there that God's going to keep for Himself, but the light is going to shine on the nations. It's going to bless the nations. There's going to be a multitude, and so it's going to be multiplied. Amen? You, You sit here today as evidence that this is true. You're not Jewish, I don't think, right? You don't hail from Jerusalem. You, you sit here today as Americans, right? And your people came from all sorts of places to create your mixture. <laughs> but what we see is that God has fulfilled Isaiah 9. He's already fulfilling it. He's calling people from every tribe and tongue and nation to worship Him, to glorify in His name. And so we sit here together as people from South Arkansas doing that. But guess what? There's people all over the world who are sitting together on Sunday, the Lord's Day, worshiping Christ as well. Amen? Because God uh, God makes good on His promises. He can be trusted. And, and so, uh, the, the people of God now includes all nations and tongues and tribes. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, we read about in the New Testament. That we are all one family in the Lord. We're all a part of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. He is our head. We are His body. Isaiah is saying this is a message of great victory. That's what he's telling them. Like this, 
this gloom that you feel will not last, light is coming. And this remnant that you see of faithful believers who are having to dwell in this darkness, well, guess what? Your faithfulness is going to pay off. The Lord is going to not only redeem you, but He's going to redeem people from every tribe and tongue and nation. The multitude is going to be increased. There's going to be more and more who proclaim the goodness of God, the excellencies of Christ. We're going to stand on Him despite great darkness in their own lives. The light of Christ is going to shine, and it's going to be victorious. And this brings overwhelming joy. You just see it there. Again, in verse 3, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So you see all the gladness and the joy that comes from light, which shines on a heart, which gives new life in Christ. And now there's great joy. In verses 4 and 5, we see that it's not simply a deliverance from their oppressors. Look at this. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So God here is announcing the breaking of the bondage of sin on mankind. It's not just that you're going to be released from your oppressors, it's that you're going to be released from the oppression of sin. That's a far greater victory, amen? Sin will not rule over you, it will not reign over you. Christ reigns. And so this is the promise of the New Testament. Again, when, when God takes a stony heart and He removes it and He puts in a heart of flesh, that's called regeneration. That's a, that's a new beginning, right? It's a new life, a new creation. It's a creative work in 2 Corinthians 5.21 where we see that old things are passing, or sorry, 5.17, where we see old things are passing away. Behold, all things are becoming new. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are His workmanship, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which He prepared beforehand. So what we see is that we're getting an altogether new life in Christ. And now you have at your disposal the ability, the will, the want to, the drive, the desire to please Christ, to live a life that honors Him and glorify His name. Whereas once we couldn't obey the law, Whereas once we found ourselves oppressed by sin and its nature, now we are free from our sin nature and we can obey the Lord. Now, you might pause here and raise your hand and say, well, Kyle, that I, I still struggle with sins. I still wrestle with desires that are contrary uh, to the Lord's desires for me. Yes, you do because you have not been detached from a broken flesh. Though your spirit and your mind is set free by the Spirit of God, right, this is Romans 6, 7, 8, are really getting into this. Um, and, and those whom have been set free, they're free indeed. And so you are free with your mind to serve the Lord. But what Paul is saying in Romans 7 is that my body is still at war with me. My flesh is still at war with my renewed spirit. And so, though in my mind I want to serve the Lord, though in my mind I want to do all that He commands, I find myself still doing the things that I don't want to do. I find myself still retreating into sin and selfish desires. And so in Romans 8, he says, you must mortify the flesh by the Spirit. You must put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit of God alive in you. And so that's what's taking place. The bondage of sin is broken. Once you were bound only to sin, but now in Christ you have been set free in your mind and in your spirit to live a life that honors Him. Once you could only sin, now, now your will has been renewed and you can serve Christ. It's been freed. Amen? And so you are able now. God has not only removed you, as he did here, removed you from a, the oppressors, he's removed you from the great oppression, which is your sin nature. And so if you're in Christ, you've been delivered from that. 
The bondage of sin is no longer on you anymore. And this is a reason to exult in the Lord. Amen? God announces here that peace is coming. He's announcing an end to wars, an end to evil in the world. How will it come? Well, in verse 6, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen? So how does the war cease? How does the end of evil arrive? How is there peace with God? It's only through the Son of God. It's, it's through that babe in a manger who was born to die. It's a gift of divine grace. You must see it that way. God is giving to you His very own Son. God, looking into the darkness of the sin-scarred world, says, here is my Son, here is the marvelous light of the Savior to save you out of great darkness. And by His life, you will know what I am like. You will know who I am. By His death, you will know true life. This is the encouragement. The Son of God given to save sinners. Isaiah is prophesying about the coming of Jesus Christ, and he's speaking as though it's already happened. For to us, a son is given. To us, a child is born. But this is 700 plus years before the birth of Christ. Incredible what God is doing. Incredible. And as, uh, as he was the lamb who was slain, so he is also the child here born. Amen? This is the light of the prophets as we see it. This is the light of this prophecy in the middle of great darkness. God is speaking through his man Isaiah about what is to come. Here God is telling the world how he's going to rescue his people from darkness. It's, it's not just a baby being born he tells us what the baby will be like, what he will accomplish by giving, uh, by giving himself for us, what he will be, who he is. And he tells us that in four names here. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. He is, Christ is the Wonderful Counselor. Amen? He is wonderful because He is both God and man. He is wonderful because He is the Son of God. He is counselor because He is intimately acquainted with the counsels of God from eternity, and He gives counsel to His people as a person, right? This is what we read about the great high priest in Hebrews. Um, the writer there is making the case that we have no need for a, a flesh. A, a, we have no need for high priest any longer because we have a great high priest who has entered once and for all behind the veil into heaven, and he stands now ready. He stands now ready to offer himself. He he pleads his own blood, his own scars before the Father. There is no need for the blood of bulls and goats of rams and doves. There's no need for any of it any longer because Christ has been crucified. And He is our great high priest. And what we read about the great high priest, it's not that He's some distant high priest in heaven. It says that He's a great high priest because He became like us. It says that He's a great high priest because He was in every way tempted as we are, yet without sin. It says that He's a great high priest because He's sympathetic to your weaknesses, because he knows them intimately. What we read about Christ there is that he endured all the way to the point of bloodshed. How many of you have endured your temptation long enough to the point of bloodshed? None of us, right? We might make it 10 minutes and then we give in. Or we're victorious because we trust in Christ. The point is, is someone has already paid the penalty for your sin. And he stands in heaven, ready to save to the uttermost all of those who will draw near to him, near to the Father through him. And so I bid you to come to him.
to see him as a wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor because he's able to sympathize with you in your weaknesses. He's tempted and tried as you are, yet without sin, so he's dependable. No one teaches like Christ does. No one instructs your heart like Christ will. No one gives you wisdom like Christ gives wisdom. He is himself wisdom. (laughs) Amen? And he makes the wisest plans. And he orchestrates the best stories. And he stands ready to give you counsel that you might join the story that he's writing. He has wisdom beyond all human capabilities. He can be trusted. He is wonderful counselor. I digress. Let's move on. He is mighty God. Christ is mighty God. This is the title of the Lord himself, right? Until this point, unless there's other prophecies is is all I mean, but until this point, uh, they did not know the Son of God as mighty God. But here what we're finding out is that there is coming one, a child who will be born, a son who is given, and he will be mighty God. Again, he's fully God, fully man. And yet in his birth, what we see is his humility. In his birth and his willingness to uh, to give up the glories of heaven, to come to the earth, to dwell in a land of darkness with us, to enter in so that he might save us out of, we see his humble estate, that he would be born as a babe in a manger, that he would grow up before his peers, that he would increase in wisdom and stature in favor with both God and man, that he would endure the problems of the world, that he would endure the worst for us as the only one who should have never endured it at all. He is mighty God, yet He's a child born to us. He's given to us as a ransom for sinners. Again, in John chapter 1, we see that the light shines in the darkness, and that light is none other than the glory of God revealed to us in the face of Jesus Christ. He is, the, he is full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1 says that He is the exact imprint of the Father. Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man. He is mighty God. And Christ being born to us is the foundation of our greatest hopes. It's, he is the cornerstone of all that we believe. It is a fountain of great joys to see the birth of Christ. It's a fountain of great joy in times of great fear and great grief to know that Christ has achieved um, death of deaths, (laughs) that He has won for us the battle of sin and death, and that we might live fully, complete in Him. He alone is mighty to save. We see here also that Christ is the everlasting Father. This doesn't mean that He is the Father, Christ and the Father are separate persons within the Trinity. One essence, three persons, right? We've talked about this many times. He and the Father are in perfect unity. But what we're reading here is that as an everlasting Father, He gives eternal life to His people. He achieves eternal life for His people. And so in that way, we become sons and daughters of the Father, just as He is a son of the Father. He is also their benevolent protector. Like a father is meant to be a benevolent protector, he is a benevolent protector for all eternity. He can be trusted for all eternity. Really, it's the task of the ideal kings that he would lead in this way, that he would sacrifice of himself in this way. And this is exactly who Christ is. We also read here that Christ is the Prince of Peace. He shall be called Prince of Peace. And guess what? He is our peace. He is the ruler who will bring about peace because the nations will rely on Him for their peace with God. And by nations, I mean the people of all places, tribes, tongues. He gives peace to all who will call on Him. 
And these titles show that Jesus will be the best kind of king, that he is literally the king of kings, the Lord of lords, that he is worthy of all of our devotion and affection and all of our worship and acclamation. He is worthy of everything. No one in the Davidic line of kings that we read about will even come close to Christ. He's perfect in every way. What verses 6 and 7 are showing us is Isaiah begins to focus on the messianic hope of an heir of David. Again, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Amen. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so here we see the the messianic hope of an heir of David who would extend his rule from Israel to include all the Gentile nations, bringing to them the blessing of knowing the true God, And this empire of grace will forever expand. It will go unhindered, every moment better than the last. God's mission to save His people through His Son will not be stopped. It will be accomplished with a passionate intensity of of which only God can accomplish. In other words, though we live now in a a neo-pagan society, a new pagan society, or a modern pagan society. We live in a place that seeks to redefine marriage by its own terms, even as recently as this week. We live in a place that seeks to murder human life in the womb and to soften the language of that by coming up with all kinds of terms to dodge the subject. We live in a nation that seeks to ignore and reject altogether God's truth and wisdom. We we must remain, though we live in a neo-pagan society, you and I, as Christians who know the light of Christ, must remain people of good cheer. There weren't far enough amens to that. (laughs) And if you can't say amen, say ouch, right? So Advent reminds us that light shines in the darkness. And so the beauty of pausing yearly to look at Advent, the beauty of pausing yearly to say, let's look at the birth of Christ. Let's see how light has come and how we can trust God to fulfill His promises. The beauty of that is that it creates joy in the middle of darkness. It brings cheer where there should be no cheer. Oh, just came to me. I should have said it creates cheer where there should only be fear, and all of you would have applauded, right? <laughs> so, our king is the king of the universe. Our home is an eternal homeland. The light of Christ will not be snuffed out. Amen? You serve a God who will not, has not, will not be defeated. No man, no president, no government can extinguish the blazing light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just ask our brothers and sisters in China. Amen? where there's reports of 10,000 plus people coming to Christ a day in a place where that shouldn't happen. The gospel, the coming of Christ Jesus to die for the salvation of sinners, that age-old faithful gospel message, it still saves. Amen? And it's worthy of all of your devotion. It's worthy of your attention. It's worthy of your gaze. 
It's worthy of all that you have. It exalts Christ, which is what makes it successful. We proclaim the excellencies of God just as the apostles proclaimed the excellencies of God. We proclaim Christ and Him crucified just as the apostles proclaimed Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because it's the message that God has ordained for the victory. It's the message that God has ordained to be light in the darkness. We don't twist it. We don't change it. We don't make it more palpable to sinners. We say that if you want to live, you must die to yourself, repent of your sins, and turn in faith to Christ Jesus. And that's light. And I tell you as believers that if you want to experience joy, don't align yourself with things of the world any longer, but turn and repent and put your faith fully in Christ. Not half-heartedly. Be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. You want to see joy in your home, joy in your marriage, joy in your parenting, joy in your work, joy in your service to the Lord, joy in every area of your life. You want that? Devote yourself to the King of Kings. Devote yourself to the King of Kings. Devote yourself to the one who says, you have increased joy. They rejoice before you. As with joy at the harvest, they are glad. Amen? Devote yourself to Him. The gospel exalts Christ, who alone is able to save to the uttermost all of those who draw near to the Father through Him. By the gospel alone, sinners are saved. By the gospel alone, redemption flows into the world. Light shines in the darkness. By the gospel alone, God is worshipped in all the earth. Though kings and kingdoms will fall, and great will be their demise, they plot in vain against the Lord, Psalm 2 says, and He laughs at them. They will fall. And though they do, you must remember, you must be a people of good cheer and remember that the gospel is invincible. The gospel is undefeated. The gates of hell, Christ says, will not prevail against the gospel. And so light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. In Matthew chapter 4, we see that Jesus Christ, Matthew 4 just tells us explicitly that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah 9. This is what we read in verses 12 through 17. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them light has dawned. And from that time forward, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message is the same today. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As a result, John 3, we see that God fulfills His promise to destroy darkness through the birth of His Son. It's extremely explicit, so much so that even I could understand it. It's the beauty of the Gospels. It's a simple message, able to be understood by anyone, by the least. Verse 16 of John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in Him is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Amen. 
light has shone. And if you refuse to run to the light, if you refuse to come to Christ, what is being said about you is that you love darkness more than light. You're clinging to darkness. And yet you would tell us that you're not blind. But the word is clear, you're blind. You're unable to see. But offered to you today is the grace of Christ, the light of the Lord, able to give you eternal life. And if you'll trust him today, if you'll turn from your sin, turn to Christ by faith, you will be saved today. So I encourage you, beg of you to run away from darkness and run into the light of Christ. We might be lovers of darkness, but there is good news. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Believers, those of you in here who say you love the Lord, I encourage you to live by the truth. Live by the light of Christ. Shine the light of Christ in the world. Do it through your words. Do it through your deeds. Do it in the way that you worship God daily. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Those of us who have come into the light recognize that we are not the light. We are reflecting the light, but we are not Him. (laughs) I am not able to save anyone, but I know one who is. Amen. Let's proclaim Him until we breathe our last. And especially in this season, Proclaim the excellencies of Christ during Advent. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord, that you have shown a great light on us. We are so undeserving of your grace. And if we deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. But Lord, you have seen fit. Father, you have seen fit to grant to us grace and mercy unto salvation. And you've done it in the face of Christ, the Word become flesh, the Word dwelling among us. Light has come. And so, Lord, would you help us to see it, help us to not be blinded by thick darkness, but help us to rejoice with great joy as light shines in the darkness of our hearts and minds, and we are able to see Jesus. And Lord, as believers, I pray that you would help us. Help us to be men and women and boys and girls who love the Lord, who don't take for granted light anymore, but who seek to proclaim the light of Christ in all the earth, to take it wherever we go, into our homes, into our workplaces, into our marriages, into our parenting, into our friendships, Lord, may there be not one place in our life where we refuse to let the light of Christ in. Let us walk in marvelous light, Father, especially during this Advent time. We love you so very much. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.